0: Welcome to the Asia edition of Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech podcast. I'm Rachel Williamson. And I'm Karis Palmer. Every fortnight, we dissect the successes and
1: failures of financial innovators and bring you the people at the top of their field working to disrupt banking. From traditional banks doing things differently to startups navigating the unforgiving world of financial services, I'm Simon Spencer, and this is Breaking Banks Asia.
2: So Kaushik, few years ago, that you know he had a niece who was born and who went to an ICU as soon as uh, she was born. And she was born with pneumonia and there were lung diseases. So think about a newborn baby who was coming into this environment. And currently, the study is showing that babies are actually getting born with tar in their lungs. Why? Because the parents are also breathing the same air. The air quality has gone down. So There are a lot of things people are doing on the front of improving the air quality, the internal pollution. But what
0: about owning own responsibility? Children born sick. Toxic air carving five years off your life expectancy. The premature deaths of 1.7 million people the year before the COVID-19 pandemic struck. This is where India is at today, because of its fatally high air pollution. I'm your host, Rachel Williamson, and on this episode of Breaking Banks Asia, we aren't investigating the root causes of India's toxic air, but one pathway to fix it and other environmental problems, to take responsibility, as our guest Nidhi Mehra so eloquently put it. In India, it is fintechs which are now uniquely placed to create lasting environmental change, The country's largest payment provider, PayU, said in September that customers can now offset the carbon emissions of their purchases at the point of sale, using a data platform designed specifically for fintechs. And while this kind of change isn't easy, some fintechs are going even further and seeking to fundamentally change the way banking is done. There's Offset Farm, a platform to allow carbon credit developers to track and verify project outcomes and then facilitate green loans and investments. And there's MyPlanet, a bank account, real-time carbon footprint tracker, and an interest-like carbon credit reward all in one. You can find links to these and our research in the show notes. It was MyPlanet co-founder Neddy Mehra who opened the show with that harrowing story. For experienced fintech entrepreneurs Nidhi and her co-founder Kaushik Sur, making the environment right is deeply personal. Their mission is matched by the scope of ambition behind their company, nothing less than building a parallel green banking system. Kaushik and I,
2: we... Both have worked a lot on financial products. And uh, for past few years, we have been contacting each other for creating different, different kind of financial products. So in India, in past four or five years, you see FinTech has come up a huge curve, but there was always one conversation that we wanted to do something for the environment. And the reason was like someone like me in my family, every third child is born with allergic rhinitis. It's a sinusitis, which is triggered by allergies. In, in this case, uh, that means whenever a weather change, I'll be sick for two, three days. So we always used to joke around that uh, you're giving us a legacy of sickness rather than anything else. But as the time grew, as the world is changing, in past 10 years, we have faced a lot of issues. All my family members, the kids around I see, they're missing out on school. In Delhi, whenever there's a pollution, the school closes for some time. So kids can't go to school. They can't do anything. And on top of that, Uh, when we talk to an individual, what's
0: your role in this entire thing? They say, I am not doing anything. I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up breathing air that is actively making you sick. How do you even start fixing a problem that big?
2: Our background of finance was really important over here because we thought what will help people to understand their role in the environment. So we thought the biggest motivator in the world is money. Money moves the people, money tracks the people. And from that uh, entire inception, green score came into the picture. So green score is something which is creating a first-of-its-kind lifestyle scoring system. And this scoring mechanism gives you one single score of how you are living your life when it comes to the planet, how eco-conscious you are. So we created a range of 300 to 900, 300 being the bad and the 900 being excellent. Uh, There are a range of questions which we're asking currently manually. But we're taking it to an automation. So automation bases your, how you're spending your money. So every rupee you spend, if you allow us from your consent, we'll be able to track that and we'll tell you that how you're spending your money. How much impact your money had on the environment. And then give you nudges, then give you alternatives, give you options to offset, which actually make the difference. Because you as a responsible, okay, you as an earthian is able to go ahead and take care of your money. And take care of its impact on the
0: environment. Neddy says the secret source is an AI which they're patenting. When their customers shop with the FinTech's green money card, the AI will be able to glean just how carbon intensive a person's spending is without them having to tell it manually that the takeaway delivery was a Mutton Rogan Josh rather than a more virtuous Veggie Palak Paneer. Think of it like a really accurate, real-time carbon footprint calculator that gives you a bespoke picture of your carbon footprint today with a way to buy emissions offsets on the side. Those offsets pay for my planet's carbon credit projects and those projects provide the carbon credits issued to the fintech's customers as rewards, or interest if you like, for environmentally friendly spending decisions. Kushik says, we have metrics for every other part of our lives, but less so our impact on the earth. When we spoke, Kushik was deep into a home renovation, so you might hear the carpenters in the background of his audio.
3: The climate is a very early days in India, but there is nothing to understand what kind of impact I'm creating towards the environment. That green score is coming up with that thought only, so that you can just like your return is uh, evaluating your financial structure or your you know BMI is giving your health condition. Your green score will help you understanding that what kind of an impact you are creating towards an environment, and then accordingly you can take some kind of a actions.
0: Credits instead of interest, and you are doing tokens as well, Koshek, This is sounding more and more like a shadow banking system. So a lot of
3: people or a lot of systems, the focus is only about earning money or getting a higher revenue. They're not focused on the environment or any other aspect. So there we want to enter and we want to create a challenging solution. So you are the owner of your money. So if you have that money in your uh, account itself, you can spend and you can spend anywhere you want. But the sustainable solutions will give you a better option. And if you want to spend there, that card will give you some additional benefit, actually tradable carbon credit. So your money, your power. So that's why you have the authority to take the call. I mean, the democratization of the entire financial ecosystem towards the environment. That's what our thought is uh, behind creation of the green money card.
0: Carbon credits don't come in consumer sizes, though. They come in a very standard metric ton. So. If my planet wants to give me a green credit to reward, say, an e-bike purchase, they'd need to split a carbon credit up, fractionalise it, you might say, maybe even turn it into a green stable coin, a crypto coin. And this is where things start to get very interesting and very complicated at the same time. My Planet's business is backed by at least eight different carbon projects that generate credits and which they support through investment. I asked Nidhi why they think consumers are ready to understand carbon credits in the same way as interest or money. The
2: goal is to democratise to have more and more people understand two things out of it. One, of course, there's another dimension of having the money, which is carbon credits, But it's not about just buying or selling carbon. You have to understand as an individual why that has happened, why you have water credits, why you have carbon credits, why you have plastic credits, because that is how the world has become now. Your air has money on it. Your water has money on it. Whatever pollution we have created is creating a capitalization out of that. Okay. So if you're doing something positive, you can have the pie of what is happening positive, what is happening in the money market because of that. We know the user getting aware of carbon credit. There's more curiosity about what is, what are carbon credits, uh, how the green credit is giving a different kind of value. So we created an entire uh, structure of FAQs for our user as well. So it becomes more and more transparent for that.
0: At Breaking Banks Asia, we cover the inside stories, the emerging themes, and the exciting people participating in Asia's banking and fintech sectors. If you want to reach our dedicated and growing audience, which includes listeners from government regulators to people at the top of Asia's fintech and banking companies, reach out to Breaking Banks Asia on LinkedIn or go to www.provoke.fm. The other side of this consumer-based business proposition is the lending and investment needed to get environmental projects off the ground. It means another big opportunity for fintechs is to be the gateway between credit generators, such as farmers or water restoration projects or renewable energy enterprises, and buyers. This is where people like Offset Farm co-founders Saarab Saraf and Ankit Mathur come in. They have built a data platform, but they too began thinking in terms of tokens to open up the range of investment sources away from the concentrated pool of institutional financiers. But the crypto bubble popped in 2021 when they launched, and also big financiers didn't love the idea of buying tokens in return for carbon credits when they could just pay money and get something that looked a lot more like money in return. I asked Saurabh about his thinking around carbon tokens and whether the idea still has legs.
1: Instead of depend on one institution to kind of buy into your project, if this demand is democratized, which means uh, you have individuals or maybe smaller players being willing to invest in this asset class, uh, the carbon asset class. So you're not dependent on a party to, to kind of source that money. You can spread that bit into few parties. So such aggregation plays are existing in the RE sector. Uh, there is a solar power plant. It needs money. You kind of source money from different quarters, even individuals, and then do some deal structuring to make sure that you return the money back to them. But this will require that the demand is like very democratized. like It's, it's not concentrated. It's spread. And there's volume in terms of the number of people or institutions coming in. On one project.
0: But as he says, for this to happen, governments need to accept that Web3 ideas can be legitimate and build bridges with the current way of taxing and regulating assets. So, Saurab and Ankit focused on the other side of the business, which is creating data that allows carbon projects to be measured accurately. This is how Saurab explained it.
1: In the end, what are you being paid for? You're being paid for impact. Impact is measured through data, and and it's basically the credibility of data, uh, which is ensuring that the dollars are flowing.
0: Companies operating in this sector need to be rock solid to have credibility. Carbon credits face a new scandal every year. If it's not phantom rainforest credits from verifier Vera, or accusations of outright greenwashing at South Pole, a once billion dollar company, both in 2023. That's Nature Conservancy selling meaningless paper to corporations in 2021 or Australia's entire credit scheme being accused of being a complete sham in 2022. Carbon credits aren't new to India. Between 2010 and 2022, the country issued 278 million credits in the voluntary world carbon market accounting for 17% of global supply, according to S&P Global Commodity Insights. But all of these were bought by foreign brokers who would sell them off at much higher prices to foreign companies in global markets, none of whom would invest in the projects behind them, Saurabh says. So last year, the Indian government banned all carbon credit exports. Not forever, just until it achieves a 1 billion ton reduction in carbon emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2070. Saurabh, who is going to replace those buyers?
1: So this is how it has happened from Kyoto Protocol days in 97 till today in 2023, that the developed countries have been the buyers of carbon credits, the developing countries have been the suppliers of carbon credits. Now what is happening is, Governments are also waking up to the fact that, hey, we are the ones who are supplying carbon credits, but we are not getting commensurate investments. So Indian government made an announcement in June that uh, we're going to have our own voluntary carbon registry, which to me is a way of kind of capturing that maybe revenue.
0: With the final version of the brand new Carbon Credit Trading Scheme 2023 released in June – India is ready to start building its domestic carbon markets. This is a big deal because in addition to the voluntary market, that's the one my planet's customers are buying from, India's top emitters will be forced to buy local credits in what's called a compliance market. At the same time, India is writing big promises for green investments. At COP27 in 2022... The India government said it would reduce emissions intensity – that's not the same as reducing total emissions – by almost half from 2005 levels in the next seven years. It plans to do this by backing brand new industries, such as green hydrogen, and tripling its renewable power base by 2030 at an estimated cost of 300 billion billion. US dollars. So now you have big local companies being forced to buy local credits, the finer details are still to be worked out, and really, really ambitious government-backed climate goals. Okay, here we have to pause and get very deeply nerdy. Because to understand why an opportunity has opened up for fintechs in India's carbon markets, we've got to do a bit of history. Carbon credits are a boom and bust industry. There have been, by my count, about three booms and crashes since markets began in 2005. How did we get to where we are today? And are we in the boom or the bust part of the cycle right now?
1: So well, I'll try to summarise. 97 Kyoto Protocol under the UN countries came together to try to solve this problem of global warming. 2005, that same protocol is ratified. Uh, The protocol ensures that the world is, in a way, divided into annex countries, or annex one, annex two, which is developing countries. And the developed countries have to buy carbon credits from developing countries under a scheme that is going to be materialized under this Kyoto protocol. This gave birth to the real first global marketplace for trading of carbon credits and and a lot of activity happened at that time. When I say that time, I mean 2008 to 2012. So that was the first commitment period of the Kyoto Protocol. Uh, the carbon credit prices at that time reached like over $20, $25. And imagine uh, that those prices have not been reached even today in the voluntary markets. At that time, 2008 to 12, you can imagine the kind of euphoria there was on carbon and the kind of strong demand that was pulling up the prices. In 2012, uh, the that commitment period came to an end. And a new commitment period, which is 2013 to 20, was devised. But this was more to shape up that future market. So, so perhaps the developed countries thought we paid a lot of money. And India and China, big polluters, they also need, need to be paying for that. Now fast forward, so 2012, what happened then? All that twenty twenty-five dollars basically became two dollars <laughs> overnight. By two thousand fifteen, here comes the Paris Agreement, COP twenty-one, and this talks about again a possibility of a global, you know, consensus on carbon. Again, that two thousand twelve crash sort of built that euphoria to two thousand fifteen, right? And that's how markets work. People are inherently bullish in general. We are hopeful people. So, so the. Market again kind of started shaping up. But of course, you know, political negotiations take time and blah, blah blah After 2015, again, that thing sort of subsided. Fast forward again, this four-year cycle, 2019-20, SBTI, science-based target initiatives, net zero commitments. You know, this narrative around different coalitions coming together. We have to do something. And again, you know, that euphoria mashed up and um, We saw a bullish cycle of uh, this time, like big demand and like a lot of money flowing in the sense of people, people, traders, investors, and everyone wanted to experiment and punt on this opportunity. So we saw a lot of deals happen 2020, 2021. Even today, although I feel that the pace has like slowed down a bit, if you put the price of carbon at $5, $10, the market size can sort of vary. Accordingly, so it could be, it could be a five billion dollar market to be a ten billion dollar global carbon voluntary market. So, so this is uh, basically the demand that there is that there's a potential of. In a way, we are standing at the cusp. I think uh, the future is very exciting in the next two years.
0: Today, not only is the timing right again for climate fintechs, but the Indian government is backing a range of climate-focused startups. This year, the government launched a new incubator for clean energy businesses and made it easier for foreigners to invest in startups. And to top it off, Nidhi says last year, the government even launched a program that explicitly endorses the exact thing My Planet is doing called Mission Life.
2: When we were still getting the app into the initial CUG phase uh, building, the Indian government actually announced Mission Life. So Mission Life is where they try to create a people moment where more and more people can understand their uh, impact on the environment and do positive actions. So we were pretty happy that government is pretty much aligned with what we are thinking. Our product actually is like a shining star for Mission Life if, if they uh, you know take notice of that. And uh, green credit was something which we coined because we were already working on it. Suddenly, the finance minister of India said, okay, we are going to give green credit to people for doing something good. So, okay, pretty much aligned on what we're thinking in business by the, by the thought of the government.
0: India is at a sweet spot where those climate goals and government support are converging with the country's technology transformation. In a previous episode about open banking, we spoke to Smita Agarwal. VC investor, central banker, and now director of a key UN office for financial inclusion. And in that episode, we asked her how the country had leapfrogged so many others with this infrastructure. What she said then is also true when thinking about the latent potential of India's climate fintech sector.
4: Really speaking, if you look at, along with increased penetration of mobile phones, and then there was a rapid drop in data costs, India embarked on its digital journey, if you will, seven to eight years ago. As per Findex uh, 2014, India was at 53% bank account penetration at that point of time. Using that same analogy of key building blocks, um, India actually had Aadhaar as the foundational digital identity layer. And then it had uh, it created real time interoperable payments rails, which is UPI, Unified Payment Interface. And next, India is re architecting data flows from the current organization centric approach to an individual centric model. It is empowering the individuals to own, control, and use their data by enacting a consent framework. And I think the big uh, relevance of a consent framework is it gives control to the individuals too. Uh, over their own data that resides with banks, insurance companies, utilities, healthcare providers, government departments. And I think it's important to note that this initiative is not just restricted to the banking data. It spans across a range of data custodians, as I mentioned, uh, insurance companies, mutual funds, tax authorities, and much more. And so it is actually an an all-encompassing way to... um, to allow the citizens who are now potentially more data rich than they are economically rich uh, to leverage that for their own benefits.
0: At the time, Smita and I were just talking about leveraging data for simple things like getting a bank account or debt to grow a business. But today, the latest generation of climate fintechs are looking to leverage that data for the environment as well. I asked Kushik from my planet where he thinks the biggest opportunity in fintech is, given the last decade of changes.
3: A lot of uh, revolution has been done in the last decade uh, within the fintech segment itself. I mean, starting from the UPI. But the point is, still the highest revenue generated processor only two things: one is a payment, and the second one is a lending. Because green financing is one of the areas where, where the entire ecosystem should develop. As the green financing was started increasing more for the solar panel, renewable energies, even for the rainwater harvesting. So these type of projects needs to be supported by the financing But Now the point is, being a lending company, my job is to secure my investors' money. And I will only invest to those projects who give me a better or a guaranteed return kind of thing. So here the problem, understand that the ecosystem, the return or the possibility, there is a lot of guarantees to do that. So carbon credit or generating carbon is one of the key things to do. And things are happening, things are happening the past six months or a year.
0: Sarab from Offset Farm sees an opportunity in being the broker between project developers and financiers, hence why his company is built as an information platform.
1: We have a portfolio of multiple projects which we have developed or co-developed. Some of these projects are operational and uh, uh, like in terms of potential yield of our own portfolio of Indian credit supply, we are over 80 million uh, tons in carbon. This will be realized in the next seven to eight, seven to nine years. Some of the projects have already started issuing carbon credits as we talk. So we have already issued a- around 1.3 million when it comes to playing in the carbon markets. In India, fintechs can play a great role in in ensuring that there's a market for this commodity called carbon, first and foremost. There's an obvious market that'll ensure some pricing, some barter, some transaction. But uh, I want to believe that beyond institutions, there is some sort of, let's say, Awakening or um, desire, even in individuals, to sort of offset their carbon uh, footprint, and that kind of opportunity, I think we are yet to tap. There has to be, or there will be, uh, more and more individuals wanting to offset, and uh, they would need trusted projects to sort of invest in, and and making a marketplace between you know buyers and sellers, which has been happening like it's nothing new, but but that is a trend to kind of have a.
0: The horrifying tolls of the COVID pandemic were partly an outcome of India's toxic air pollution. But the country, like every emerging and developed economy around the world, is running into its own wall of environmental problems. Even though the government is locking away the country's carbon markets – Counterintuitively, this could be making space for fintechs to begin chipping away at some of those problems. Predicting just how the next few years will play out in India is almost impossible. It's a giant country that has a habit of proving forecasters wrong. But with tech trends supporting the new climate push, it might have a chance to right some of its worst environmental wrongs and engaging with fintechs along the way i'm your host rachel williamson and you've been listening to breaking banks asia
1: if you enjoyed today's episode of breaking banks asia don't forget to share it on twitter leave us a five-star review on itunes or wherever you listen to our show this helps us build our audience and support our sponsors so we can continue to bring you a great show every fortnight